Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And this week, we're going to continue the pattern of jumping straight into the story. So Sean will tell the story this week. We'll talk about how that story works and how we might use it in business. So Sean, over to you. Okay, so think back to London in the 1850s. It wasn't the pretty smelling place that we know today, okay? Uh, London back then was without a sewage system, so as a result, people would dump their effluent either into the Thames or into cesspits, and the place literally stank. And, and not only that, because of, I guess, not having a sewage system, not having Mr. Crapper hadn't actually invented the, the Crapper toilet as yet, there's nothing to go into, of course, that's part of the reason. But at that time, there was disease just rolling through the city. And in particular, one of the diseases um, which you know, had a devastating impact on, on London back then was cholera. Cholera was a, a particularly evil disease, in a sense, because once you actually had the symptoms of cholera, which was vomiting and diarrhoea, within hours, you were dead. Really? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is an amazing impact. To this day, it's, the reason why people uh, had such, a, you know, sort of died so quickly is cholera essentially takes all the bodily fluids out of you in a very short period of time. So if you get it today, the way they treat it is they just pump you full of fluids, right, until you can get past the, you know, the actual disease. But back then, they didn't obviously have those sort of uh, techniques. So it was, it was, a, it was a death sentence uh, if you had cholera. Now, cholera was a big problem. There was thousands of people who were killed uh, through uh, that disease over probably a 10-year period in that 1850s time frame. And at the same time, uh, there was a researcher, uh, a guy called Dr. John Snow. Oh, that... From Game of Thrones? No, no, not quite the same Dr. Jon Snow. But this Jon Snow, he was an obstetrician. He was really into uh, self-experimentation. He liked to uh, sort of test out things like uh, sort of uh, drugs to anaesthetize himself. He uh, often would be found sort of slumped over his desk, you know, passed out because he was doing these sort of things. He was an experimenter, let's say. But Jon Snow in, I think it was in 1849, wrote a paper sort of saying that Cholera was um, moved around the city through. It was a waterborne uh, disease. However, that wasn't the main thinking at the time. The main thinking was it was actually transported by the miasma. The miasma, which is essentially the smell, the breeze that was going through the city that sort of carried the disgusting. Didn't they smells. talk about like the the miasma as the stench, and you could it was kind of visible. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the, it was a, a time where you had those, you know, pea-souping fogs that went through London. It was that whole era, oh. right, um, that was, you know, just, it was quite iconic in many ways in its look and feel, right? But that was the feeling that it was to do with this stench that was sort of wafting through uh, the city. But John Snow didn't believe that. He believed it was actually a waterborne uh, disease. And he submitted his research to a range of different, uh, you know, sort of government uh, councils and tried to get policy change essentially within the city. And no one would have a bar of it. So in August uh, of 1854, another outbreak happened. And this time it was in Soho. 
And Jon Snow didn't live that far away and thought he thought this was the perfect opportunity. So he grabbed the, the local uh, priest and he dragged him down to Soho and visited all the houses that people were actually... So why did he have the... Why did he drag the priest along? Oh, so he dragged the priest there because he knew the priest was kind of well-connected into the community and he would be able to get people to ah, answer his questions, right? right? And so the question is, he was... strange guy knocking on the door That's saying, right, exactly. You just didn't have this uh, researcher sort of knocking on the door. You had the, the local priest and he would knock on the door and he was really asking a pretty tough question, which was, how many people have died at this uh, address? I can't help but think of Monty Python. Which is what? Bring out your dead. Yeah, yes, very much so, very much so. The thing that he did, which was brilliant, is that he had a map of the city or a Soho area and it really focused around one street. It was, uh, back then it was called Broad Street. Uh, it's now called Broadwick Street. You can go and you know visit Broadwick Street and sort of see where it all uh, played out. But he had a map and for each house he visited, he drew a black line almost in the in the outline of the house to indicate each person had died. So if six people died, there'd be six lines, if you like, and it was like a little bar graph. So you could quickly see where the people had died and how many people had died across that geographic area. And the pattern was distinct, right? All around this one particular area, around one water pump, was all the people who died. Now, there were some exceptions. There was a brewery on Broad Street. No deaths. Because they didn't drink water. They don't drink water. Guys in brewery, they drink beer, right? And plus they had their own well. Uh, they didn't need to uh, draw from the Broad Street pump. Uh, there was also a workhouse. Essentially, it was a, a small prison back then in the days. And they had their own well as well. They had a few people who had died, but it wasn't anything like you know, what was going on around. There was other, one other sort of, if you like, anomaly as well, and that was there's two women, uh, you know, an, a woman and her niece, who were quite a way away from Soho, who also died at exactly that same period. And when they looked at it in detail, they discovered that the uh, auntie grew up in Broad Street and she loved the flavour of the water from the Broad Street pump. So she had it actually transported to her in Fatal the new attraction. home. Yep, and her and her niece, unfortunately, on the thirty-first of August, uh, had their uh, you know Broad Street pump water, and within hours they were goners. So, so there was the thing about this though, and this is probably the real breakthrough for Jon Snow is he now had this map that he could actually go and show not only a visual representation of the data, but essentially the unfolding story that was clearly articulated, clearly illustrated in that map. And he took it to the authorities and immediately they agreed to take the handle off the Broad Street pump, water pump, right? It's funny, I, I was down in Soho and they're actually doing a whole bunch of reconstruction there right at the moment, but um, a couple of years ago, you could actually see the, you know, the historic Broad Street pump. And to this day, uh, at least when it was there a couple of years ago, I'm sure they'll put it back, to this day, it still doesn't have the handle on it. And in fact, you, you know, it's quite often when I was there, you could see those uh, bicycle couriers, you know, would be sitting around the pump having their, their lunch. That was their sort of gathering place. Uh, so it's one of these real, I don't know, it's such a historical place within London, which you could easily miss. 
Right. And I, I know that was years ago when you came back from London with the photo of those bike riders gathered around that pump and you were so excited. I was excited because, see, I did my degree in geography and the John Snow map was one of the first maps that really started the whole field of epidemiology. And as a geographer, it's one of the first, you know, sort of pieces of geographic information that starts to change policy, you know, within a modern society. And so it's a, it's a real hallmark of the change, the way in which we take data to change people's minds and, and behaviours, right? So anyway, that's the story of the, uh, the John Snow map. It was written up beautifully by Stephen Johnson, a journalist who wrote The Ghost Map, probably about 10 years ago now, well worth a read. And you can jump on the web and type in John Snow's map and you'll find lots of examples of it and you can see exactly how he went about it. It's a very, you know, as you can imagine, a very 1850s sort of looking map um, with those hand-drawn little uh, sort of lines indicating each of the deaths. So it's kind of a sad map, but at the same time, uh, one that really changed the way in which we see how, how um, you know, a disease like cholera actually unfolds and has a, that devastating impact in London back, back in the 1850s. Oh, fantastic. That's a great story. Yeah, I, I find it so interesting, that, that whole period of uh, history, actually. So it sort of fits within my interest in Charles Darwin, of course, as well. So it's, you know, it's, all, well, happening, it's all happening at about the same time. Yeah. And again, it's one of your favourite things, scientific stories. I love a scientific story. But tell me, uh, in terms of that story, what do you think are the things in there that make that story work in some ways? Well, I, right off the bat, I'm going to say disgust. Disgust, right, yeah. Yep. Yep. It, cesspools, the cesspits, the, the, things like that. And I couldn't quite smell it, but it was getting uncomfortably close. Right, right. Um, so stench that, was there. Yeah, so kind of the sensory information that you provided there really makes that story stand out. It yeah. gives it a whole bunch of interest. And so I found myself quite engaged yep. or repulsed, was it? I'm not sure. Yeah, right. One or the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's true. I, you know, I think, of course, it's, to do, it's a lot to do with death, so that's something that we're very interested in. We want to avoid death, so any death stories are always good. Compelling, that is. I, I got a feeling part of, I certainly enjoy telling the story. Right. It's enjoyable to listen to. So, so for me, it's an easy story to tell. I don't have to refer to any notes. I don't have to think about it. If someone asks me about Jon Snow's uh, map, I can you know, give a version. And I could tell a longer version. I could probably tell a, hopefully tell a did shorter you, version. Uh, did you give the date that the auntie and her niece died? No, I don't. No, I didn't. No. Well, see, it all happened over a pretty short period of time. So I think within 10 days, 500 people had died. So it was these outbreaks had devastating impact. I think the other thing, too, for me is that I have a picture in my head of the map. I don't know if this comes across to the listeners so much, but in my head, as I'm telling it, I can really see this map. I can see the main street, main broad street. I can see. On one side, the houses, I can see on the other side, the brewery. And, you know, so for me, it's a, it's a visual thing. And maybe I could make more of that in terms of just helping people see that map as I'm telling it. Probably doesn't really make I, a big difference to the story. I don't think that needs it. That story doesn't need that extra visualisation. It's got so many compelling elements to it. 
without those. So yeah. Adding them in, I think you would risk getting too, too caught down. up in the detail. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Much like I did with the Ford story. <laughs> Version one. Anything else? Anything else we need to point out in terms of the, the telling? Anything that would make it a better story, do you think? Well, I think it has many compelling elements to it. So I don't have anything about how you would make that better. Right. But I am interested in the next question, which is how will we use that story in a business context? Yes. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think it has limitations in, in how you might use it because even though I know that story well, it's not a go-to story for me. It's not like I tell that story you know, often. In fact, the only times I've really told it is I gave a talk or a couple of talks around data storytelling and so I used it as an example of, you know, obviously bringing your data to life using a story and, and the map, etc. I could imagine someone trying to make the point along the lines of, you know, if you really want to change policymakers' minds... You can't just bring a table full of data. You're going to have to bring it to life more. You're going to have to use maps. You're going to have to be able to tell a story. You're going to have to sort of show how it unfolded, which is essentially what that story is about. It's an unfolding of you know, that event of the cholera outbreak and what Jon Snow did. And so that brings that to life. So that would be probably certainly one way I'd use the story. Another way you could potentially use it is around the topic of persistence in that Jon Snow had this belief, ah, he expressed yeah. it as an opinion yep. and uh, it was competing with a bunch of other opinions and his did not hold sway, yes. but he did not give up. He kept going and then when the opportunity presented, he went out and collected the data and was able to visualise that data, sorry, present a visualisation of that data in a way that was yeah. then influential. Compelling, yeah. So... But I think I think your audience is quite constrained here, yeah, right? It's not a big I, audience. You know, if one. I was to tell that to a group of bankers, I'm certain they would just roll their eyes and, you know, I'm not. Too, well, I'm not certain. I I I, I don't know. I wonder roll whether they would really get it. I don't think they'd roll their eyes. I no. think they'd go. Interesting story. No What's idea why you told it. That's right. Yeah. Whereas if I told that to a group of scientists, like you know, at CSIRO oh. or something like that, I think they would get it straight away. So picking your audience is going to be a really important part. And it's a good example of one of the principles about storytelling is that a fantastic story in one context might have absolutely no impact in a different context. Yes. So always being aware of who the audience is and the context for the story has a huge impact on whether that story is going to work or not. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I think they're probably the, the main areas in terms of how where you would tell it, right? Only one more, very slight one, which is where somebody's got a strong view and they're going, we should do this, we should do this. And you go, look, you need to go out and get the data. So somebody pushing their view and simply use that story as an illustration that you need to go and collect the data. Yeah. Yeah, right. Again, it's not a big one. No, it's not a big one. I can imagine too, if you launched into London in the 1850s, people look at you like, what in the hell are you on about? You know, like... It's a, such a jump, isn't it? Whereas, whereas if you told a story about, oh, yeah, actually just the other day. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so on the one hand, having that historical story certainly can grab people's attention, but if, I think it could actually throw people off a little bit if it's not set up in the, in the correct way. Yeah.
Fantastic. Well, that's our story for the day. Uh, I guess we need to give some ratings, right? Yes, let's do the rating. What do you reckon? I'm going to give it a four. Oh, my oh, God. No, four. Adverts. But I'm, I'm – and again, I love that story. I really loved it. I enjoyed listening to it. Yep. But we don't rate purely on how good the story is no. in this. We Usefulness. Rate, we rate on terms in terms of how useful is this because our objective is to provide stories that the listeners can put into their story banks and use in their own business world with effect. Yes. And that one has limitations in that regard. Does not take away from the fact that I think it's a ripping story and I love the compressibility of it. You could tell a short version, you could tell a really long version. That's true. That's true. And I, you know, I do take some um, hope, I suppose, in that I'm sure you gave me a four on another story and then we heard that it's actually been used for good effect. So I'm hoping that that might be the case of this story as well. <laughs> One goat. <laughs> the, um, I, I, you know, I, I actually I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to give this a high score either. I think for me it's probably a, a six or a seven. And that's because I like the story probably more than its um, utility. However, I think in the right audience, it would actually go down a treat, you know, with the right group of people who are interested in those sort of things. And it's actually not a bad story. And this is probably not so much a business story, but you can actually tell that in conversation. And it's a kind of a nice, I know, just sort of uh, sprinkling of flavor in a, in, a, in a chat with some friends, I'd say. Yeah. Now, I'd like to point out to the viewers that there is an important storytelling point about what Sean just said and that sometimes you might have a story that you think is fantastic but simply doesn't work. I have one of those and we've tried I have tried that a number of I have tried that story a number of times and I love it but it doesn't work and so it doesn't get used anymore. And so there are absolutely times where even though you've got something that you think is a really good story, if it doesn't work you have to be prepared to let it go. Yep. Oh, you're not saying I need to let the John oh, I'm not Snow story need to let that, go. But I think that next time at the pub, we should definitely tell that. <laughs> Will do. Okay, guys. Well, f- thanks again for, for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking today. I guess uh, I'm hoping everyone will um, you know, jump in and give a bit of a rating on uh, you know, iTunes or, or wherever you find this podcast. It seems to, it pops up in all sorts of different places these days. Yeah, so thanks for listening to Anecdotally Speaking and tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Stories to Work.